Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Hi, this is Rebecca Buchanan, host of New Books Network, New Books and Popular Culture. And today I'm here with Joe Weldon, the author of Fierce, The History of Leopard Print. Joe, thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. So I'm hoping you could start by talking a little bit about how you got interested in leopard print and writing a book about the history of leopard print. Yeah, I mean, I've always loved leopard print, even as a little kid. You know, there were great uh, female icons around me wearing it, like... Anne Margaret and Eartha Kitt and all these women who had a like high energy and really lively, glamorous women. So uh, I actually recently found a picture of myself in high school wearing leopard print leggings. <laughs> <laughs> so this goes back. This goes back. And so what is it about? Like, do you think when I was reading this, I remember, too, I actually had uh, one of my favorite seats I had. You know, I grew up in I was born in the early 1970s. So one of my favorite seats on my bike was this leopard print bicycle seat, like a banana seat, only it was leopard print. And I love that thing. Yeah. <laughs> so it made me think of. Like, so what is it, do you think, like, you give this long history that we can get into, but what is it about leopard print that really has sort of had it sort of stand the test of time? What do you think it is? I think part of it is just that it's a natural element. You know, leopards are real. Uh, We probably have a primal response to the print. They know that a lot of people's pupils dilate when they see it. And also... um, you know, it's a dangerous animal, but it's also a beautiful animal, very much admired. And the qualities of the animal, the the independence, the self-sufficiency, um, the power and grace are all things that make it fun. I think also the playfulness of cats in general, like it's this print that immediately evokes the feline, just like that. So one of the things that you sort of situate and set up in the book before you really talk about sort of the history and the long history of leopard print is the four big cats and sort of how their prints are different. And so I'm not sure if there's anything you want to share about those cats and how you talk about those and and those different sort of um, the different prints of the cat or the different, you know, the way they're, they're different um, prints and fur of those cats. Well, it was really interesting when I very first started doing uh, like mindfully doing the research, really knowing that I was doing research and I would uh, Google leopard print, or I'd be looking through old, you know, newspapers and magazines using the search term leopard print. And I would find all these prints, jaguar, cheetah, ocelot, even lynx, even tiger. I almost started to think of the phrase leopard print as a colloquialism for just big cat prints. So it was also interesting because it was pretty much a global phenomenon. Anywhere that spotted cats were known, they had a kind of cultural impact. 
people loved them and loved their coats. So they would be part of uh, sometimes spiritual practices, sometimes something much more informal than that. And finding that um, everywhere that these big cats were known, often nobility would assume that the fur as one of their signifiers. There would even be sumptuary laws where commoners weren't allowed to wear leopard. And in, for instance, in Aztec culture, um, which was isolated from the rest of these cultures, um, the jaguar was a very high-ranking warrior. So, yeah, so it's interesting. Yeah, and so you also, um, you mentioned the jaguar and the warriors and one of the things that, that i appreciated is you sort of connect this to sort of feminism and women's issues and and you think you look at to how this print originally sort of and how the leopard in general was a sign for strong women and strong women sort of in in both ancient egypt you know and sort of before we even get into our sort of print culture. And so can you talk a little bit about, you know, maybe what you were seeing in the role of the leopard with these, these women or the leopard print with these like women in sort of ancient time and the goddesses? Yeah. I noticed a lot of times um, in the actual governments, the fur would be associated with the men, but in the spiritual life, the goddesses, you'd see it associated often with female goddesses or even with um, a male goddess, male goddess, (laughs) hey, it's possible, Um, the male god Dionysius who's associated with um, leisure time and um, playful activity, but still powerful nevertheless. And I think in modern culture, a lot of what has happened is related to the association of the cat with the domestic and with the feminine which is paradoxically a very powerful position to be in. You know, the domestic knows everything. They know everybody's Mm -hmm. secrets. But also Mm -hmm. the fact that these cats are genuinely, cats such as leopards are genuinely dangerous. So you combine those ideas of, you know, the power in the household and the power in the government, and you get this sort of femme fatale character. And, and another connection that was the connection between sort of the changes in women's fashion. One thing that I found really interesting is when you sort of talked about the history of the sewing machine and sort of the changes in the ability to get. And so I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit about that and how that also relates to like the, the role of women in fashion and the role of women in being able to sort of have control over what they were wearing and, and choosing to wear. Yeah, well, historically, people haven't owned that many articles of clothing. And it isn't really until the past few hundred years that uh, the average consumer had that much access to fashion. And of course, you know, people have fashion sense and knew about fashion and were interested in it and sometimes would be, you know, find very innovative ways to express it. But just access to things that look remotely like, um, what wealthy people are wearing, it was relatively rare. So that with the development of the sewing machine, you have a democratization of shopping and fashion, making it available to so many more people. And then as 
artificial fibers are developed, it becomes more affordable. So people can wear leopard print. It's not a huge commitment because it isn't all made by, well, I mean, it's all made by hand, but it isn't all stitched, stitch by stitch by human hand. Right. And then we, you move into, and one thing I thought was really interesting during that sort of the, the 1920s, that time frame too, was um, sort of Josephine Baker, the pet cat, like the mm-hmm. big pet cats that you just sort of walk along the streets with your pet cat. <laughs> yeah, which is no longer legal. <laughs> yeah, there were a lot of, well, flappers wore a lot of fur because they were riding around in these open cars, right? So they were wearing short skirts and open cars. If you uh, search for uh, leopard coats in the 20s, there are so many of them. And so I thought of that along with the pet cats where they would have a pet leopard or a pet cheetah as a kind of like assumption of both the danger, you know, knowing that they were getting this increasing freedom and being kind of dangerous to uh, the mores that had existed before. And also... um, kind of needing that protection because women didn't have all their rights as you know we're still gaining them but um you know it's a constant back and forth and i think that uh having those big cats was a sign of sophistication and wealth because it's incredibly expensive to feed them so it would show their power and their wealth and their sophistication like they were worldly and so one of the themes that sort of you talk about this power and sophistication, and, and I felt like um, throughout your book, when you were showing the the ways in which we engage with sort of the leopard print and think about these, there are um, a number, like you talk about wealth a number of times, and also the femme fatale becomes really important and, and a signifier. And so can you talk a little bit about that and what you were seeing both earlier and now with that sort of femme fatale and the role of the print in um, in, in that yeah, of course, no. the femme fatale has a long history, but at the turn of the century, you know, uh, particularly like you can look at the U.S. and see that there was a lot of criticism of young women who wanted to do things their way. And they would criticize both the partying flappers and the very serious suffragists. Interestingly, the suffragists were also associated with cats. Um, and so... I think that the idea of women at the turn of the century as powerful was in some ways seen as not just dangerous, but, you know, maybe the idea that these women didn't necessarily need men to take care of them, that they could take care of themselves was a very threatening image, but also a very tempting and exciting image, very exotic and erotic. You know, women in charge, not just of their politics and their finances, but their sexuality. Yeah. One of the things I love about your book and for people who are listening to this, who might not be able to see your book is it's full of these beautiful color prints of very famous, you know, many people, but a lot of these really famous women in these prints and wearing these prints and sort of how this is um, how they've looked, you know, from the early on and then, you know, twenties and thirties and even before that to modern day and how that plays out. And so there's these beautiful images throughout. And so one thing while I'm thinking about it is 
how did you think about incorporating the images with what you were writing about and what you're researching? Were these um, things that you like you found these images and you really wanted to write about them? Or well, anybody that's ever done a book with images knows images that that, that is a huge undertaking. And I did not know that because my last book. My last book, most of the images either yes. uh, have been commissioned by me there or were so taken <laughs> by me. And these photos are almost all I had to negotiate rights for all the ones that weren't uh, public domain. So uh, I started out with a set of images that changed over time. And it was actually at first I was I thought that it was a loss. And then it was this huge gain because I had to really dig. And I found images like the woman who's, you know, the first female taxi driver, you know, in New York City. Oh, isn't she amazing? Yeah. I, 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 every oh, time I, I would start researching it, I, you know, every I know, name like, that's in there, I thought, her. maybe this person is a book, you know, Wilma K. Rusey, that's a book. Faye Shulman, that's a book, you know. And um, I was looking at who wore it because when I very first started talking about leopard print that I would run in, this was my kind of my favorite thing. I would run into people that hate leopard print and they would tell me what it meant. And it was, it was always this very narrow view often of something that I didn't even <laughs> think was repulsive. Um, you know, Oh, it's, it's, it's sex workers or it's Peggy Bundy or it's, um, you know, raunchy 70s tacky stuff. I was like, I love all these things, you know. Um, so I was like, well, who who's really been wearing leopard, you know, both the fur and the fabric? Yeah, who's been yeah, wearing yeah. it? And I wanted to show who's been wearing it because um, I think it's really hard to typecast leopard print. <laughs> and it has contradictory meanings, you know. It's, it's wealthy, it's trashy. It's sophisticated. It's casual. It's um, it's <laughs> slutty. It's um, elegant. You know, like all these things, and it manages to contain. It's like I think of it as a fashion contronym. You know, words whose meanings contain opposites, because depending on you know, fashion is a language. Depending on the situation, which could stand in where the sentence it's in, it can have all those meanings. And I think like. Culturally, right now, there's a lot of um, very necessary uh, search for the meanings of language. And I think sometimes those meanings are too, it isn't that they're too narrow, but additional meanings aren't acknowledged. So leopard print really stood in for that, um, the magic of language and the way that things could mean different things to different people in different contexts. And so all these women, and, and there's some men in there too, um, and there's people of every gender in there. Um, all the all those people that wear it informed its meaning. Yeah. They wear it. It doesn't wear them. And it's very much, there's all these, one of my, I think I love that Kate Moss has this dress that's white, a, you know, a floor length dress that she has on leather print, but it's white and sort of gray and black. And I love that dress, but yeah, but it also shows the very, the versatility. I think there's a similar image with Debbie Harry in that, in, in a leopard print that's like a black and white image. But, but yeah, she's wearing cheetah, but yes. But this versatility of, right, the print and of the clothes and, and how you can go. And, and that sort of brings us into looking at Christian Dior, right? And going from sort of yeah. everyday look to this sort of high fashion. And so 
it seems that it was Dior who really brought leather print into this high fashion space. And I, and so can you yeah. talk a little bit about well, that? It was, how? it was such an impactful moment in high fashion that I read a lot of people saying that that was the first time leopard print appeared in Western fashion which isn't even true of the 20th century. You know, I, I did a deep dig and I found um, advertisements for dresses in the 20s and 30s. Uh, that picture of Joan Crawford is from 1928. But, mm. okay, remind me. <laughs> My mind went a million places. <laughs> Christian Dior in Dior, high fashion. Christian Dior. Um, and, you know, he's a very important designer. And... Um, you know, there's been so much written about him. And of course, you know, he's he's made strong statements about leopard print. Um, and so I had to look at where he would have found those meanings and made this huge impact with his 1947 collection, which is where he introduced the famous silhouette of the new look, but also introduced a leopard print sheet. And so that sort of brought an awareness of it into high fashion. And you've been seeing it on catwalks regularly ever since. And it seems another person who you talk about and who sort of brought the print into the public eye and with some controversy was also Jacqueline Kennedy, right? right? Jacqueline Kennedy Onassis. So can you, yeah, talk a little bit about sort of what her role as a fashion icon, right? Yeah. Um, And her role in really, influencing well she's such a complex and well-covered character and you know the her influence in this case was uh this leopard fur coat that she was wearing and leopard fur coats were already a sign of wealth um and a sign because they're spectacularly expensive like they cost as much as two cars like they were so expensive and so um they were also though even though they had that look of wealth like you know JFK is sort of the people's president. And when she shows up, she's wearing this expensive coat. This is like 61, 62. She wore it on a trip to India. And I have had people in their 70s tell me how shocking it was to see her in this extremely fancy, expensive coat. And um, it was well received because then the demand for leopard coats greatly increased. And as a matter of fact, it was a... um, during that decade that the people who were anti-fur and um, anti-exotic cat fur in particular started to really dig in their heels as the animal populations became threatened. So um, later, when Oleg Cassini, who had styled her in that coat, found out that the leopard population had been harmed to such an extent by that increased interest in leopard coats, he became an anti-fur champion even though he'd previously been working in fur and worked to develop um, a more high fashion version of faux fur, which, you know, faux fur, as we know it with the artificial fibers has really only been around since the thirties, the which isn't to say there wasn't faux fur before, but like what we think of as that textile we think of. And he worked hard to make faux fur fashionable after that. And also, you know, that endangerment of the animals um, really gave a lot of strength to the anti-fur movements, and at least they were able to get the exotic cats uh, under regulation so that it's technically illegal to uh, trade in 
new leopard pelts. And it's actually a lot of, there are a lot of laws around the trading of vintage pelts. And it's very restricted. Right. And so one thing I would want to make clear too, is that you emphasize the, the importance of this, like looking at this history, but how we are now very much using sort of faux fur, right. And synthetic fibers and not talking about, um, returning um, to yeah, I'm not interested in wearing real, real leopard fur right, at all, vintage prints, or, but, but, but part of, you know, in the book, yeah, I show a lot exactly. of the fur because those silhouettes and the patterns, they had enormous impact on fashion. Um, and also, you know, right. because there were fewer really viable alternatives, fur just meant something different before our current understanding of it and the way that we employ it now. So, I thought about, you know, there were times when I was like, oh, I don't really want to show these fur coats. Right. I was like, let's not erase the reality. You know, these have had a fashion influence. So the silhouettes, the trim, the shape of the accessories that you see in that print all have an effect on the way that both mass market and haute couture designers refer to leopard now. Right. Yeah. I've, I've one of the another picture that I um, was really drawn to is the one advertising Cadillac yeah. with the mother and the daughter and completely matching. I'm like, even their little collar, like whatever they're wearing underneath their fur yeah. coats is matching. Um, and that like this way is selling sort of fur as a way to sell privilege and sell with the ballet in the background and in these ways that fur is used in mm -hmm. advertising as well to sort of. Yeah, and that was it, there's always been an anti-fur movement, but this was before they really had a lot of traction. Um, and that image of the representation of furs as wealth and that just that picture in general is sort of like the picture of wealth at the at, at the turn of 1950s into 1960s. It's just so iconic. You know, the mother and the daughter in matching leopard fur coats. I found a picture that I couldn't use later. It just wasn't high enough resolution of um, Fran Fine from the, the Nanny in the 90s in a faux fur Moschino outfit yes. with mm -hmm. a duplicate outfit for uh, the daughter. And it, it, it's, you know, it's a thing. Uh, another theme that sort of comes through with the mother-daughter um, idea is the bad mother. And I did, I love Peggy Bundy. I think the Bund uh, she's absolutely fabulous. Um, and, but you mentioned other mothers as well. And sort of this role you talk about um, Anne Bancroft, right? And the graduate and, and these, and, and the ways in which fur was also used to signify this sort of seductress. Yeah. The wealth, uh, well, uh, I think, the Anne Bancroft character is wearing both the fur and the print and the and faux fur. Like, I've really, I've really studied her wardrobe. And the Anne Margaret character, I realize it sounds like I don't like the movie Tommy there. I love that movie. I love Anne Margaret rolling around in the beans. I love all that stuff. It's one of my favorite albums. But that character in the leopard print when she's leaving the kids, or, or Tommy, the kid, the adult child, with bad babysitters, you know, she's a bad right. mom. And then um, the mother in Brazil and sort of the Schiaparelli outfit, um, not listening to what her son really wants. Um, and then uh, the, the mother, uh, Rosalind Russell, in the uh, Galanos gown, who um, subjects her family to her eccentricities, I'll say no more. And, you know, I found many other examples of that, the bad mother in leopard print. And I think it's... Um, 
sort of a desire to keep women's natures under cultural control, specifically patriarchal cultural control, so that when they vary from them, it's seen as a form of dysfunction or insanity. And that's a very 70s, late 60s, early 70s thing, but it pops up, you know, when Peggy Bundy, and who doesn't, who, I, I totally want to dress like Peggy Bundy. I, I go out of my way. <laughs> Um, I would wear any of those outfits any time that I'm talking about in that chapter, any of them. I got to, I went to uh, FIT and they showed me that Galanos gown that Rosalind Russell is wearing. And I, you know, I couldn't handle it, but I photographed it. I said, I want to put this on so bad. I want it so bad. Oh, no, they're great, right? It's just like, and and everyone, and this sort of, another thing you talk about is the idea of like that, it's not only serious and high fashion, right? It, there's like these, you have this great picture of um, Phyllis Stiller, who I love, right? But these like funny women in fashion, right? So it's like, and you talk about this yeah. often about how putting this on makes you feel and how this makes these women feel, right? And that role of like, so the importance of, and the way that these prints, um, and the leopard print sort of um, helps, uh, you know, sort of helps these women feel a certain way, but also like it's not just one mood or it's not just one sort of characteristic that it shows. Right. Throughout. And, and be, you know, people are able to imbue it with meaning. And it's actually suits the more that you know about the actual big cats, the more sense it makes, because there are leopards in the Himalayas. There are leopards in deserts and hot jungles. They can swim. They can sleep in trees. They're adaptable. So why wouldn't the print be? You know, it follows. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, you talk oh, yeah. about the bikini and even though, right, if you give the short history, which is, I think, and one thing I appreciate, there's this, you know, little sort of history that comes through each of them, like, but one with the bikini and how the bikini is not as right. recent as we thought it would be, but even the role, right. Which I think is like, great. Like this is this great thing to like, no, but the role also of the print with the bikini and, and sort of um, when women started wearing less clothing at the beach, instead of being like, I just can't imagine what. Yeah. I, well, the beach. I, you know, it's, um, a little bit of some parts of it are like fashion history. And I wanted to introduce readers who were just interested in leopard print to the fact that there is this kind of history. And I think everybody knows it. You know, everybody knows everything around them has history, but I thought it might be tantalizing to see Mm -hmm. the history. And I hope that some people get interested in more like academic uh, fashion history after reading the book, because Things like the the swimsuit, the history of like women having to swim in these big woolen dresses, you know, in the in the like the eighteen hundreds and even the early nineteen eighteen hundreds. No, eight nineteenth century eighteen hundreds would be like eighteen hundred to eighteen ten. <laughs> sorry, <laughs> sorry, sorry, it slipped mm-hmm. out. Um, but, yep, you know, right. like the, the late 19th century, early 20th century, they were wearing these huge things on the beach and tons of people went to the beach. It isn't like it was that rare to go to the beach. So there's all these sweltering people, you know, going into the waves. Men had to wear these sort of one piece things as well, but not the heavy skirts that the women were wearing. And it's just, you know, crazy. 
And so the bikini makes so much more sense and shows so much more, even though, even with all the issues we have around it, so much more public acceptance of actual bodies, which is exciting to see, you know, because I, as I was studying the history of swimwear, Mm -hmm. I started to come into where we are now with independent designers making fashion for so many more different bodies than they used to and showing them, you know, using full figured models or trans models in their advertising, wearing leopard print bikinis. It's just amazing to me, you know, having grown up in an era when you just, you know, the body was just becoming kind of acceptable in public and then only carefully curated bodies were acceptable in public. And now it's just, even with all the problems that still remain, it's a much more um, accessible time, I feel, in that regard. Yeah. And it, you seem to sort of get at that, too, with sort of looking at, you look at, you know, how um, the role of sort of MTV or the music video and, and you know, music, as well as sort of supermodels and the striptease and that sort of role of... Um, the yes, having different bodies and different types of women being able to, or and different genders, right? You also mentioned men um, in some of these chapters of of their role in really broadening the scope of fashion, and then where that sort of how that pushes leopard print forward, right? And how that pushes these prints forward into different realms. And yeah, different areas. I think leopard print is a great vehicle for studying those changes. Um, I think mm-hmm. in the eighties. You know, in the 70s and the 80s, there was so much culture in malls. And people don't think of it as culture because it's, you know, it's low culture. And, you know, fashion designers, you know, high-end fashion designers were certainly doing amazing things. And i totally fascinated by them. But I was interested in, you know, again, what does it mean to wear a leopard print now? And that meaning happened more in malls and general culture than on the catwalk, even though you can't, you know, everything in high fashion trickles down, but also everything in the mall and on the streets trickles up. Right. And you have in the 90s, I think. Oh, sorry. No, keep going. Well, there were so many iconic designers in the 90s that so many clothes. And I don't know if it's just because I was, you know, because I was born in the 60s. So in the 90s, I was, uh, you know, buying my own clothes, obviously. And I remember <laughs> wanting all of that, you know, Versace and Alaya and so bad. And this uh, one designer that went from the 80s into the 90s, Michael Hoban for North Beach Leather, who did all these like um, leopard prints on leather. And it just watching all these fabulous supermodels wearing it and then seeing independent designers sort of start to really develop in the middle of the of the 90s where it was both unique and affordable. Um, It made a huge change that the independent designers, especially in my case, the retro designers, because I've been wearing vintage clothing all my life. So I just, the 90s were just an incredible time for both high and I guess what we would call low fashion. (laughs) Like a lot of of real fashion academics would be offended that I put Michael Hoban in there. I was like, maybe this book is not exactly for you, but I hope you get some fun out of it. But but I appreciate, like, I did think, like, it gave this sort of insight into fat, right? You look at, like, how um, the role of spandex, right, in aerobic wear, how 
even with these sort of changes in materials and the ways in which we can construct garments, the leopard print like was was a print unlike, you know, I mean, it, everything comes back, but right, like the paisley might go in and out of style or whatever it might be, but leopard was able to sort of meld with whatever materials were being made, whatever fashion was being made, right? And and the importance of that and the importance of, le- uh, you know, these prints and the leopard print. Yeah, I'm still dying for one of those Cavalli caftans too. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's just, oh, Dolce & Gabbana, there's so many amazing designers, but there's also um, just that, that cultural impact, that sort of, you know, the way that it infiltrated and just became a part of fashion. Mm-hmm. No, it's really like I look at these pictures. I'm like, oh, that looks great. No, that's great. And what I interest, what was interesting too, is just all the ways. Then and you talk about this a little, but the different ways in which the designers create prints, right? And mm-hmm. different kinds of leopard prints, or the different ways they, you know, change the prints and and um, make them their sort of own prints and own spaces, and what that means. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and a lot of it is, you know, it can read different in different silhouettes. You know, obviously a leopard print caftan is going to read a little bit differently than a skin-tight leopard print dress or cat suit. But I think, uh, you know, again, I think the wearer informs the meaning of it to some extent. Yeah, and you also, like, you move into, like, where we continue to see leather now, right? I think you have, was it 12 places we can find leather, right? Yeah. It, like or leopard print um, right now. So looking at like all these different um, places that leopard print is still in existence in, you know, still you know, popular. Yeah. And, and all the places. Yeah. Yeah. The popularity of it and all of that. And, and really thinking about that and also thinking about like, then um, what does this mean? Like what to wear and sort of what not to wear and coming back to this, the fact that like, you want to make sure that you're not endangering the animals that have been the inspiration. Yeah. Well, it's easier. Like not wearing the fur is easy. Some of the uh, sustainability issues around fashion are a little more complicated. I try to keep my uh, wardrobe at least 50% vintage or secondhand. And of course, I'm obsessed with vintage. Mm-hmm. Vintage has gotten more expensive, darn it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> But, you know, I do look for sustainability concerns as well. I just think that because there's so many things going on, what stuck with me was that leopard print has almost come to symbolize choosing your clothes. Like, I, I picked this, you know, and I had, I had mm-hmm. interestingly, one woman told me, only one woman said this to me. She's like, leopard print doesn't mean anything. And I was like, oh, well, maybe it doesn't to you. And she goes, no. I mean, I'm, you know, I met people that didn't care about it, but that's different. She's like, no, it just, it doesn't have any, it doesn't have any meaning. And I was like, okay. She goes, I wear it every right. time I go to the gym. I was like, uh-huh. You hear yourself? Every time you go to the gym, you, that's what you build your strength in. That's what you wear for your health. You leopard. And it was just like, and she went, oh. And we were sitting in this beignet shop in New Orleans. <laughs> kind of a contradictory message there. But I, it, there's just... You know, those con- things can contradict each other and still both be true. So that's what was so interesting to me. So I'm always looking for uh, mm-hmm. 
kind of a balance there. And so I'm looking to balance both the democratization of fashion and the challenges of making a sustainable fashion industry that doesn't harm the animals, not just by killing them for their fur, but by damaging their environments and also can harm, you know, the people working in the fashion industry. Like that's always a challenge. So, you know, all these things are simultaneously happening. But when I looked at all the people that were wearing leopard print, and it's getting much more common on men, it's getting more common on children. Uh, one woman told me that she works with bullied children and she uh, puts leopard print on them and has them roar you know, to help them not be timid and that the kids love it and seem to be transformed by it. Um, Mm -hmm. And those are kids of every gender. And then um, there's a a photographer who, unfortunately, I haven't gotten to interview yet. Um, I'm going to mispronounce her name, I think. That's Emily Regnier, possibly. And she's been photographing leopard clothing in Europe and Africa and the U.S. and sort of looking at you know, globalization and geographical meanings and everything in a way that's really deep and important just through photography. And, um, you know, she talks about uh, fashion as a second skin, you know, this other thing we put on. And obviously that applies to leopard print. Right. And, and, and you really focus on that idea of there's certain people who have that influence, right? You look at Mm-hmm. different bloggers and different people who influence how we, you know, share their love for the leopard print and how that influences our sort of fashion and our trends and how we think about those things. Yeah. For me, it still has a lot of, you know, not just the impact of these like very vigorous, sexy women, like, um, and Margaret and Eartha Kitt, but also punk rock, you know, just punk rock and rock and roll and all the leopard print that was worn by punk rockers in the seventies and hair bands in the eighties. Cause I was hanging out with hair bands in the eighties, just to be honest. Um, <laughs> and just that, you know, that rock and roll element of just swagger, mm-hmm. you know, there's just a swagger to it. And I just, I love it. Oh, yeah. I'm not tired yeah. of it at all. People say, Oh, I want to send you this picture. Are you tired of leopard print? I'm like, no, 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 not at all. <laughs> So I mean, no, I, I'm a big fan of Mark Bolin and T-Rex and you have um, mm-hmm. that image of like that image of him. It's just like, yep, that's pretty perfect right there. Yes. You know, that's very much that rock and roll. And, and even the Josie and the Pussycats thing is really interesting to me because with the CW series Riverdale and how mm-hmm. they're coming, you know, they're this whole sort of, yeah, the rock and roll. It never dies. Right? Yeah, I love it. I, I love that Josie and the Pussycats are still wearing leopard print. It's so good. Yes. Yeah. It's like, oh, they look so cute. Yeah. And that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so we, we've been talking about this for a while. Um, so are you working on something new now? Or are you just sort of trying to get your book out there? Is there anything else do you want to sort of advertise or Well, since about? the book is new, you know, I'm, I'm very preoccupied with it. I'm hoping to do a documentary. I'm, you know, talking to funders about what that costs. Um, it means I'd have to renegotiate all the image rights. Yay. Uh, <laughs> oh, God, that was so much work. Um, I'm still complaining about it. Fortunately, I had help. Uh, so, uh, you know, I'm writing, you know, I'm, I've been doing burlesque for decades and working in strip joints for decades. So I'm still writing about strip cheese and burlesque. And I'm working on uh, 
writing about, like I've watched the sex workers' rights movement develop in really amazing ways in the past few years with the help of social media. And of course, social media is a double-edged sword, but this couldn't have happened without it. Mm -hmm. And so having been a sex workers' rights activist, you know, 10, 20 years ago and seeing what's happening now, I've been interested in that and in the idea of what it means to dress like a sex worker, you know, historically. So there's a lot going on. Mm. All these things are, it, it, they sound, the projects sound more vague than they are. They're outlined. Right. <laughs> Except for getting all the um, negotiating the um, images, right? That that's the same. Oh no, I've got everybody's contacts. I'm ready to go. So like, I've got it. But, I, you know, again, I chose to go with more uh, pop cultural photography than editorial or couture photography because one, I could show their fashions without that, but I just wanted people to see women moving and living in it. Mm-hmm. You know? Oh, very much. Yes. And the importance and the importance and the role of women. And like, I appreciate that connection to this sort of the feminine, but also sort of the feminist movement and what this means and what fashion means and how leopard print is a great way um, to, to look at those, those changes in fashion, but also to look at the like women's um, women's ability and the strength through, through fashion, the strength through dress and, and women's choice in what they choose to wear and, and what that says about them. Yeah. And in that one spread where, you know, I'm kind of showing women of power um, where I have uh, like, you know, very diverse people that people may feel very differently about, like, you know, Anna Wintour is certainly controversial, but you can't deny that she's incredibly powerful. Um, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, (laughs) not even a real person, but, you know, an influential icon in that cheetah coat. Uh, Jennifer Lopez and that kind of, you know, giraffe cheetah thing at the punk uh, event at the Met, the Met Gala. Uh, Michelle Obama in a leopard cardigan. That image made me so happy. I know. She looks great in it, too. Yeah. Oh, and Janet Mock, who I'm just such a huge fan. Um, And uh, Betsy Johnson, who I love so much. You know, she just pushes. She just totally ignores that age barrier, does whatever she wants. There's a lot of great examples of women that have aspects of their lives and personalities to admire. Mm-hmm. Yes, all throughout. And that's like, it's like the history combined with like these images that are really great through it, you know, and they're, and unless they're black and white images, right, these beautiful color images of um, a lot of these women in these prints, you know, or even some of the advertisements, you know, uh, which are really wonderful. So the physical book itself is sort of this gorgeous Thank book. you. We worked really hard on it. <laughs> Thanks to the designers and Harper Design. They were very, very, very patient with me. And yeah, they really worked with my vision a lot. Yeah, no, it's great. And I, you know, because I do. (laughs) I have so much more. That would be blog posts. Um, But there's also like if you go to my website, the history of leopardprint.com website, you can see there's a Pinterest of images where I really did collect uh, a lot of the um, 18th century leopard print. I've got some great images of like macaronis and Marie Antoinette's court and, um, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. the, the supermodels of the nineties, you know, 
So I've got all those on my Pinterest, even though they didn't make it into the book because there's already 170 images in the book. I had to leave some room for words. So. (laughs) I know I did have to, the whole time I was like, I'm getting these images. (laughs) Thank you. Uh, So, but they're, it's sort of beautiful. Um, But yeah, I don't, but it's been great talking to you. I don't know if you have any like parting words or last things you want to get in about the book. No, I just, I really hope that the book, um, you know, makes people feel even more fond of leopard print and introduces them to the, you know, some of the concepts in fashion history, just a touch and introduces them to uh, like maybe new heroes. I, I hope that people get curious and, you know, maybe even just a Google, even just take a look at a wiki entry on some of the people in the book. And then obviously care about the cats because what better time to point out, mm-hmm. you know, that we got to take care of the cats than to go, oh, you're wearing them. <laughs> they inspired you today. No. <laughs> my my uh, my soon to eight to be eight year old daughter is really big into fashion oh. anyway, but she was like looking, she was loving these pictures and looking at the different prints and, and all the, you know, and then looking at all the, cause she loves big cats anyway, and looking at the different cats and, <laughs> and all of that. So I'm yes, so glad to hear that. Probably that means a lot. At some point and just look at the pictures all day, every day. <laughs> Again. So this is Joe Weldon, who is the author of fierce, the history of leopard print. Joe, thanks for talking to me today on new books. Network. Wonderful talking to you, Rebecca. Thank you again. 